Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to an emergency edition of the Peristyle Podcast here in Austin, Texas, on a Sunday following USC's, what was it, shotgun? 37-14 drubbing at the hands of the Texas Longhorns. I'm here sitting on the couch with shotgun sprattling at my friend Kurt's house from college. We are doing the show with some kids running around, doing homework and things. What's up, Shotgun? How you doing? I just don't understand why kids have to do homework on a Sunday afternoon when there's <laughs> NFL football on. I feel like that's a, a disgrace to, to Americanism, I guess. I don't know. If they're doing math homework, I figure you just make them do uh, you know, math homework based off the game, right? Yeah, maybe. They were, they're out here watching it, and then they're doing stuff now. They're going to they're gonna get out of the house, and we'll have – we can talk for a little while and vent, uh, I guess, about what was going on at the USC game. Well, there's also some simple math in that USC game. 34-0, as in 34 straight points for Texas after USC had a 14-3 lead. Yeah. Looked to be playing pretty well early in that first quarter, and then things kind of fell apart, and when they did, they went they went south quickly. They went south in a hurry. Uh, no bueno, I guess you could say uh, there. But anyway, our show, I, you guys have already sent in a lot of questions. I don't want to tell you how to send in questions anymore. Uh, we'll try to get to some of them today. We're going to Get back. Uh, Chuck and I will both be back on Monday. We're going to do a live show a little bit later on this evening at our normal spot, the Facebook Live Tunnel Vision Show. And I'll try to get some more um, podcasts in. We'll get Harvey Hyde. We normally do him on Sunday, but we'll get him Monday or Tuesday, Dan Weber on Tuesday. So we'll uh, we'll try to get all those in there. We'll get some questions in. But we wanted a, kind of a quick, you know, after we got to think about it a little bit, we, neither of us have got to rewatch the game. Um, just kind of do a show uh, to let people vent and, and kind of talk about what we saw uh, out there on the field. Now, this was different for me. I'm normally in the press box, and I was just in the stands. I got to watch from the stands this time with my family and stuff. So that was, that was kind of a different thing. And different for me. I was in the press box rather than being on the <laughs> field. So I'm looking – you know, I was getting more of a game view of it, you know, being able to to watch, you know, the different formations and stuff that you, maybe I don't notice on the field because that I usually, you know, are paying attention to in my rewatch because I, I'm, you know, focused on taking photos and stuff. So a little bit different view. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the outcome was, was very similar for Clay Helton versus um, Power 5 opponents without – Sam Darwin. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was so watching the stands. I'm not getting the kind of data that you guys get. So I'm still tweeting out stuff, just not as much uh, as I normally would. Still a little snark at some <laughs> of the stuff, I guess you could say. Um, and, you know, I got to do some pictures. There was cool, like 103,507 people. It was a Texas record. It was the, I believe, 1300th Texas game and 900th Texas win. So USC comes and gives them a few uh, milestone numbers there. And uh, Texas fans were pretty fired up. A lot of them we, we talked to outside. Um, and we had a great meet. I shotgun couldn't be there, unfortunately. He didn't get there till he didn't get in town until yesterday. But Friday we had an enormous uh, meet and greet. There was a lot of USC fans that made this trip to Austin, Texas, eating barbecue, breakfast tacos, all kinds of cool local <laughs> stuff. But we had a meet at the key, at the key bar. 
And Jenna, my wife and I, you know, show up. It was supposed to be like 3.30. We get there about 3.45. It's rainy. And think, oh, there'll be like 20 people there. The entire bar was full of USC people. And we're like, what? The, how did this even happen? <laughs> and it got to the point they didn't have enough bartenders. People were leaving because they couldn't get drinks as fast. They were 180-person capacity, and people had kept coming in and out. And there was about a 25-person line at one point in the rain waiting to get in. So people were fired up. Like, the fans showed up here. Even with the Stanford game, I was impressed with the fans. They came out in full force and were ready. I mean, obviously, it's, it's a lot different when you're going to Texas, going to Austin, a fun city, versus, you know, if it was Washington State or you're going somewhere yeah. where it's not necessarily <laughs> as fun of a city. I think that had a big point in it. And, you know, a lot of people, had, you know, had bought playing tickets and stuff. We're ready for this game. We're excited about this game coming in. And even after the Stanford loss, you know, there was a lot of there was confidence from the fans. You know, I, I was asked, you know, when I was out at lunch yesterday, what I thought, you know, and I said basically anyone who's covering either one of these teams thought the opposition was going to win. Yes. And yet, all the, you know, the fans, oh, well, you know, they were still very positive about it. But you know, after the game, it was a much different tone. It was. That's funny. We were walking up there, and it's this is a massive stadium and we're walking trying to get to, uh, my sister came out from washington dc uh and we got tickets uh you know for everybody and we're walking up these long ramps trying to get to the the top i mean we were literally in the end zone at the very top last row of the stadium it was crazy um but it was a neat view if i had my binoculars it would have been a lot better because you could see a lot of the numbers and stuff it was like tough to kind of see and they I, I mean, the, the PA announcer was screwing up everybody's names. Like, he couldn't get Akacentric Ware right. He's from Texas. Uh, a Gene Harris, um, Tyler Vaughn, instead of, like, they kept screwing up names. Like, you have a pronunciation guy. <laughs> and then they would show the plays on the big screen. We had a good view of the big screen. But they would stop at, like, right, like, look to see who made the tackle and stuff. They, they would just switch to people, like, in the stands, like, doing the hook em horn signs and stuff. I'm like, why can't you just show the rest of the play? <laughs> I don't know. It was, it was kind of strange, but huge, massive stadium. Uh, a lot of the people we met were nice. And, and just like you said, there were people there that felt all the Texas fans. You felt like, oh, we're going to lose, blah, blah, blah. And uh, some of the USC fans were somewhat optimistic, but I think a lot of them felt like, no, this is, uh, you know, this isn't going to go so well. I, I didn't think I, I thought Texas would play better because it was going to be at home. Mm-hmm. Um, I, if you would have told me USC got a 14 to three lead, I might have reconsidered that but USC did get a 14 to 3 lead and it still didn't matter fell apart uh, you know poor tackling gave up you know the, the first touchdown to Texas you know on third and four Jenny Harris misses the tackle low Jordan Humphrey spins out of it and takes to the house there's nobody else there to make the play uh, and then from there USC nearly gets a safety yeah probably should have been a safety I don't know I mean I guess it's inconclusive from the angle that they showed, so I guess that's why that they said that it. But he was—he's looked down to me. I mean, yeah. I asked it on Twitter initially before seeing a bunch of the replays, and I think it was a hundred percent. Everyone thought it was safety. Now, granted, those are USC fans, but right. you know, looking at it, usually there are at least some dissenters that will be straight on us. And now I don't think that was. I don't think there was anybody. Yeah. So you miss out on the safety. And right. then you if just you miss, if you get that safety, you get like twenty more safeties and you win the game, you know. <laughs> well, then you're 
But then you're up 16 to 10. Right. Yes. And yeah. even if, you know, the rest of the half plays out the way it did, it's tied at half. Yeah. It's a lot different than, hey, we, you know, we really dominated the first quarter. Oh, it's, we're tied at half. I, I mean, we're losing at half. It, it changes the dynamic, the emotion in the locker room at that point. And you feel like if you're tied, you're like, okay, we just got to go out and we got to get the momentum back instead of, okay, they have the lead. What are we going to do now? Right. And, you know, USC, that's the thing that they have not done the last two weeks against Stanford and against Texas is when things start to snowball, the momentum goes to the home team, the crowd gets into it. What do you do to change that? What what plays do you have specifically drawn up? Like, we know these are going to be our success plays. We need to run one of them right now. Right. They don't have that, apparently. Uh, so they haven't been able to, to flip the momentum. And, you know, early when USC goes up 14-3 – I don't know how it was in the stands. I'm sure it was very similar, but it got really quiet. In that press box, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it got really quiet just in the oh, stadium. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was definitely quiet. And a lot, lot of you know, all those fans there, just like uh, you could feel kind of the audible, you know, uh, whoosh come out of the crowd. They need and they needed something, some kind of spark, and then they got it, and then you know they fired and it up. built and built, and it got really loud. Keely was telling me on, you know, I, I went down at halftime to talk to her and grab a camera from her, and she said. That it was it was the loudest. She said it's the loudest uh, any stadium she's been in. Yeah. So more than the Rose Bowl, you know, the craziness that's going on there. More than you know anywhere else that USC's been. Said the loudest she's she's been in the stadium. Um, and she said on that fourth and one play, and T. Martin later confirmed this that there was some communication issues. She said that that the USC players were basically having to be helmet to helmet, face mask to face mask to try to hear each other. You also notice I noticed when I went down the field later. Toa Lobendon, when he was – not all the time, but some of the times when he was snapping, he would have one hand over his ear, uh, over the ear of his helmet, the ear hole, and then be snapping with the other hand because it was so loud and he was trying to be able to see and hear the communications and everything. So USC was struggling with that. So why did they not have some nonverbal communications? You don't, I don't necessarily know. Uh, another question mark for the offensive line. Yeah. And you have an opportunity, fourth and one. And you do – they did – okay, now they did everything USC fans have been asking for. Fullback. Malapai was in there as a fullback. They went with under center on a short yardage situation. They ran the ball. Now, they toss-sweeped it and right. tried to get outside. And that fourth, was probably not the, what they should have done. Fourth and one. I hate those stupid wide stuff. But, but the thing is, that how many times has it, has it been third and one, fourth and one, their offensive line's got to push? Yeah. So – I think at some point you figure we got to try to use our athletes to get in space. I, I, I'm assuming that's what the thought process is there because, you know, they haven't been able to. I mean, they had third and one last week and they went under center and they went to, you know, a tight formation against Stanford. And Akasadra Ware had to make a guy miss two yards behind the line of scrimmage to pick up the first down. Yeah. So when you, you know, if you continue doing the same thing, you know, and that's not working. Maybe that's what they were trying to do, just try to do something different there. So, and it did not work. Yeah. But near safety, then you have an opportunity. You go after the punt. Why? Yeah, I don't – that seems like a hero move as opposed to a – we had so many things to get to. Okay, special teams we're going to get into. You want? We can talk about that now. we got to talk about the run game, obviously. But let's go back real quick. You are talking about the team being up and then things start to snowball. There seems to be a fragility to – is that a word? Is it fragile? Like Sounds good fragility? to me. Yeah. To like the morale – um, I don't know if that's the right word for it, but just the psyche of this team, it just don't feel they don't. It, there's exuding, you know, confidence is not like just flowing from these guys. It doesn't seem like it's there when things are going well, and we saw that a lot. I think in the Cody Kessler years, 
where things were like rolling, they could roll, but get punched in the mouth and you're not really sure what's going to happen. And it seemed like that's what Texas did. Now there were some unfortunate things like the safety. I mean, there were some bad calls, whatever. I mean, that's fine, but you lose by that many points. Like you didn't, you, you weren't able to put your finger in the dike, you know, in the hole of the dike. And I think that's something you're going to have to do every once in a while. You have to be prepared to go in this kind of environment. We talked about it many times. The Stanford game was away from home. It wasn't a road game. This was a road game. This was crazy out there. Like Keeley said, um, and it just didn't seem like USC had the mental fortitude to be able to bounce back and, you know, and, and, and do something when things went wrong. When you have adversity, how do you, how do you react to it? Yeah. I don't think this team has done well. And part of it, you know, obviously how a team reacts to things comes from the top down. And when you're talking, when you're having a negative vibe to the way they were referencing that Stanford game and saying, you know, we don't think that we can go on these long drives. Something's going to mess up. You know, that type of thing, you know, that defeatist attitude, I think that starts to trickle down to the players. But also, they don't have the leaders, the offensive leader to, right. to step in and say, hey, we got to, you know, to bring everybody together. You never see them, like, bring a whole group of, together. Mm. It, you know, it's position by position. It's never, you know, an entire unit coming together and, and you know, someone saying, hey, this is what we got to do and, and making an adjustment. You know, so uh, I think that that's part of the, the issue as well. Aka Cedric Ware pretty much said that, right? And he said, you know, some of it's on him. He wants to step up and be uh, that leader. That um, They don't have one, you know. And even with Sam Darnold around, he was a leader by example, but not the vocal leader. You don't have the stand-up-on-the-table kind of guy there that's going to come up and say, hey, this is what's going to happen. This is what we got to do. Um, I know someone posted on the Peristyle looking at the – and I did this last week looking at the uh, at the offensive line, especially in the second half. It just looked like there was a bunch of guys sitting around and they weren't really, I mean, this is a group that needed to kind of come together. It just seemed like a bunch of guys, not like a group, not like someone that was, this was a unit. There wasn't one guy standing up like, look, we got a block for these guys and blah, blah, blah. We're not going to finish with negative five rushing. It didn't seem like that happened. Yeah. I don't think that there, there's somebody to do that. And what Aka Cedric Ware said, you know, I think was great. I think that's what they need. And maybe that's a turning point. If he becomes the vocal guy, and you know, they need somebody to chew people out. You know, you yeah. get a you get a false start or whatever, whatever you get an illegal formation because you're not lined up correctly. Someone needs to be chewing somebody up. That yeah. hey, you should know the playbook. Get in there and get in your playbook and figure out where you're supposed to be on every play. Those type of penalties, you know, the false starts and stuff, the stuff that are happening before the play where the, the defense is not affecting you, those are bad penalties. Yes. It's, it's the same preventable. thing. Preventable. Yeah, preventable. the preventable penalties, those are the ones you have to clean up, and that's the ones that someone needs to be in uh, in somebody's ear, you know, chewing them out when something like that happens. Like It's not acceptable. No one, though, is is willing to go and tell them, hey, it's not acceptable. It's, you'll do better next time. Right. They yeah. need that that fiery person on that side, and, you know, if it has to be Akacedric Ware or even if it has to be one of the young guys that have to, you know, He's three games into his career, but is it time for JT Daniels or Mon Ra to be that guy? I don't know. Uh, you would prefer it be one of the veteran guys because then you have respect. But I think that Amon Ra has already earned as much respect, uh, yeah. earned respect plenty with what he's done. And, you know, the hit he takes yesterday, not only did he take that hit, there was ended up being a targeting call. The ball pops out. He still grabs the ball. And you yeah. know he's shaken up. You know, right. Even, you know, he said he was fine after the play and everything. But, you know, when you get rattled like that, you know, it takes you, it kind of jars you. And he still has the wherewithal to grab the ball and cover up with it. And the guy jumped on him to try to get the ball, yeah. too. So he liked to defend the ball. 
Yeah, and, and I just don't think that you have other players on, on that offense. I just think the attitude of some of the guys wouldn't have done that. They would right. just be like, they got hit, and then their hands would have been like, I have to get this away from me. They would have been swatting it away or something. Like It, it just seems that that maybe it's time for him to step up. Maybe, you know, It has it needs to be someone. If it has to be Occasional Ware, that's great. You know, I think he, as a, a senior guy, it's a, it's a great thing for him to do, uh, step in there. And he is he's a guy that's respected in that locker room, I believe. He right? does, you know? yeah. And he's he, a senior. And-, and he's a guy that, you know, he, he doesn't say a ton, but I think when he says stuff, it's respected. So maybe it's time for him to say a little bit more. The uh, I'm wondering if there is a, any kind of fallout from what he said. Because he basically is saying what, you know, we would see from practice and what m- most of the fans want to see. Hey, you know, go out and – Practice harder. We didn't practice very hard. We were lazy. Um, there were fresh legs and all that kind of stuff. I mean, what? And Clay Hilton does not seem to be someone that's willing to make any kind of changes like that. Not like major changes, but just mix it up. You know, it, you normally do Monday. You know, now this is a different week um, because it's a Friday game. But just do something different. Like if you normally do, we did this day off, but we're going to practice or whatever it is, and we always do no pads on this day. Full pads. We're doing goal line stuff. We're doing whatever, just to do something different, just to like change things. And you, have, I mean, you're talking about a room full, you know, 118 to 22 year old kids. You can get their attention a lot of different ways. And if you do the same thing every week and every week and every week, and you're losing, you might. It's it's time to do something different. And I and I think just you don't have to change your entire philosophy, which I get people don't do all the time. But man, at this point, it's like, hey, let's try to do something else, and maybe we'll get a spark. Yeah, I think you have to do something different. But Dan asked the question to Clay, are you going to change anything? Because he said last week against Stanford, hey, you know, we're going to keep the same thing. We're not changing anything up. They went with the same practice schedule, everything. And when he asked, Clay was, what do you mean change things? Like, what, in what way? And then he goes, well, we'll have to change things this week because it's a short week. Right. So there's no real answer there. No. Of course you you have to move it. You have to move your schedule up. That didn't. That's not what we're asking. I don't understand. There's like this, the, just reluctance to. This is what we do. We're going to do this, and even if it's not working, we're still going to do this. I don't get that. I'm not sure why that's the case. If you have multiple national championships and you're Nick Saban, you can say that. Exactly. But even <laughs> Nick Saban has adapted to the game. Yeah. I mean. He doesn't just line up straight. You know, they do spread formation stuff. He brought in Lane Kiffin, did all those different things with the offense. You, I, If you're looking at a model, look at the national championship model. Go hard all the time, all that stuff, but be able to adapt when you need to. Yeah. Uh, okay, so there's, I mean, obviously we got a lot of things we need to get to. I think one of the aspects is the run game, uh, the last time USC run for negative yards, so this was a negative five-yard rushing performance, was 1999, uh, and that was against Arizona. I don't know if that was Desert Swarm. No, Desert Swarm was like years before, but minus 20, I think, yards against uh, Arizona. Back in 2001, I think it was, the Las Vegas Bowl, USC had one rushing yard against uh, Utah. Uh, that was Pete Carroll's first bowl game, and that was like, Sonny Bird was the running back and like Carson Palmer had like 51 yards of sack yardage and stuff. So there was a lot of that kind of stuff going on. So really epically bad rushing performance. And then I had someone tweet me about, you know, after Stephen Carr got that run, uh, the person said USC threw nine straight passes after Stephen Carr, had the 23 yard touchdown run, they had nine straight passes. And I'm like, that's kind of interesting. And then people were, and I, I went back and it was actually eight straight passes after Stephen Carr's 23 
uh, yard touchdown run. And then 10 of the next 11 p- plays after that were all passing plays. Um, and then someone, I was tweeting that out and someone was like, well, USC couldn't run up until that point. And I'm like, well, there was actually only one rushing attempt before his 23-yard rush for a touchdown, which was a minus, you know, run for minus three yards or whatever that first run was. So they ran the ball twice on the first drive, and one of them was a 23-yard touchdown. And then I went back and looked at the entire first half because USC had six drives. Uh, one of them, the team was tied. It was the first drive of the game. The other six drives of the first half, USC had the lead. The other five drives. So they, the entire first half, USC had the lead. They threw 28 passes and ran the ball 10 times. So obviously you have the lead. That's an opportune you know, moment to run the football. And even if it's not working all that well, you can still run and try to you know, get that going. To me, that's a and, – and at the end of the day, you know, Steve Accard had six carries. Augustin Aguirre had four. And uh, Vavai Malpea had two. So it was like 12 rushes basically. But you had the entire first half to try to get that going. And yeah, there were going to be some negative plays. But I think you need to establish that and try to get some pressure off of JT Daniels. Because to me, Shotgun, they rolled out their freshman quarterback who you know should be in high school and in, in the worst environment you could possibly do and just said, hey, we're going to have you win it for us. Throw the ball 48 times and try to beat Texas. To me, that's an epic fail on the coaching staff. Like you had the whole fr- – it's not like the end of the game where they were down but Yeah, you can't run at that point. The whole first half you could have run, and they did 28 passes and 10 runs. They dropped back 51 times. <laughs> 48 passes, three sacks, 51 times. With a true freshman quarterback making his third career start. In front of the biggest crowd in Texas football history. I just It's baffling <laughs> to me. Absolutely baffling. No wonder the run game can't get going. And what was the thing they talked about all week? Well, the offensive line, you know, well, they did really well in the run game. Well, what what happened? Yeah. What did you suddenly forget that they that you thought that they did well last week? Because they were okay. Yeah. I think they they weren't well. good, but they were better than the past protection. Yeah. And you suddenly decide that yeah, we don't really want to do that anymore. Now, granted, Texas was loading the box. You do those type of things, but even if you pass to open up the run, you still have to run the ball. Right. When when you open it up, that's when you start running the ball. And you know, I just thought that the game plan was flawed. I did, I did too. And there's so there's a lot of people like, oh, you have to throw, or the run game was crap. That's why you couldn't do it. But you had a lead. You had opportunities to run the football more. And I think if you do, you don't know what's going to happen if you're able to uh, inflict your will on the opponent a little bit and, and lean on. I mean, they had a 23 yard touchdown run. Vivai had a, a touchdown run around the corner, and they tried that other one with the bad communication and stuff. But I think you can keep control of the game a little bit more if you can establish the run a little bit and, and take some pressure off JT Downs. I don't think it's very fair to put him in that spot. You basically are asking him to be Sam Darnold again. Like Sam Darnold saved them a lot, and you're asking your freshman quarterback to do that. I think he played fine. He was 30 of 48. He had 322 yards. I mean, in that kind of environment, some of the throws he made were great. There were some not great ones too, but to put him in that spot and just make the, put the whole game on his shoulders – I don't think it's fair to him. I don't think that's fair to your whole team. Yeah, and you look at it. Stephen Carr had the 23-yard touchdown run. Yeah. His five other attempts went for one yard. <laughs> Alexander Guerrero's four attempts went for eight yards. 
The blocking wasn't great, obviously. Right. But that doesn't mean you can just absolutely get rid of it. You still have to run the ball. You yeah. can't just go – unless you're going to go five wides and, yeah. and start with – you know, going with the Washington State style, then if you're going to do that, then, yeah, you don't have to run the ball. But if you're going to put a running back in there and you're going to keep a tight end in the game most of the time, then there need, you need to be able to run the ball some. Yeah. It was a three to one ratio in the first half, past the run or whatever. So it's not a two point eight to one. It's like that's not, that's not going to get it done. Uh, you, you had the lead. That's what I'm, um, I keep harping on. You had the lead. You could have certainly run the football uh, more. Their second drive after the the touchdown run, six passes, no runs. So um, that just doesn't make. I, I get it that you know you had a hard time at the end of the day, but at that point. You had two runs, one didn't work, and one was highly successful, and you kind of went away from it. So I don't, not kind of, you did get away from it. Um, so offensively, we kind of touched on that. We we'll probably have some questions, but I really want to give you props because something I've harped on for seems like years now are special teams and the poor play of special teams, all those hidden yards, and how USC handles it. We've talked about this many, many times. You have five players on scholarship, which is a lot. You dedicate at least a third of your time at practice to special teams, which is a lot. And this game was a disaster. One of the worst I can remember from a punt of, what, 13, 22, and 29 or something like that. Uh, really bad punts. Using two different scholarship punters and not doing well. Um, roughing the, the punter. So, you know, instead of getting the ball back in great field position, you end up getting it anyway. But that's obviously a, a huge blunder. Um, and then getting a field goal blocked for a touchdown. And oh, by the way, as the, your kicker's running, trying to make a tackle, he falls down and tears his ACL and likely is out for the season. I mean, it couldn't have been like a worse day, I think, for special teams. And you stepped up and asked Clay Helton about that, about making a change very directly. And I, I don't think he gave a very good answer. Doesn't seem like it's going to be, and he gave a, you know, a, a vote of confidence for, for John Baxter, which I, I don't quite understand. Uh, but I want to give you props for that and get your thoughts on special teams. You know, it just comes to a point where, I mean, I think I tweeted, at what point are your special teams so atrocious that you have to make a change? It, and I don't necessarily – the change doesn't have to necessarily be John Baxter being fired. No, but do something different, right? Yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't like to advocate for people being fired. You know, it's their their livelihood and everything. But I advocate there has to be changes made. Yes. And you're seeing no changes. If you're going to spend – if you're going to invest the assets that they have invested, five scholarship players, where some schools may have one, yeah. if, if any, and, you know, some schools do just. Uh, I remember, granted, growing up in Georgia, watching Georgia football, they were had really good special teams and really good kicker. The kicker would sometimes get a scholarship his senior year. Yeah, and you know they would go with no uh, no other scholarship players, and they would have one guy at the very end. That would be it. So. So you get zero or one scholarship that you're using. You use all the others for, you know, obviously more scholarship players to invest in your depth on offense and defense. And they still did fine. USC is investing five scholarships of their 85. Five are going on special teams. And they're also investing 40 minutes to an hour every day of the practices we see, the Tuesday and Wednesday practices, and leading up in fall camp, you know, and it's not, and Keely and I were talking about this last night, it's not just that you invest that much time, but it's that much time that other guys are standing on the sideline not doing anything. Right, yes. Because there's only a certain amount of guys that are on the special team unit, and the, you probably have 40 50% of the team just standing there. Yeah. 
Now maybe you need to devise your you need to divide up your practice plan better so that you know so that you you can figure out a way that those guys are still doing some other drills or whatever and being uh, using your practice time wisely. But if you're going to invest that much time, you can't get this bad of results. No, these results are not. It's not just that the results are bad; they're awful, and they're really really awful when you consider how much is invested in it. Yeah, you could not practice and get better results, maybe potentially, right? <laughs> I mean, at what point do you just start going for it on fourth down? Because otherwise, you know, a 19-yard punt, you you average 31 yards punting on six punts. Yeah. That's bad. Yeah. Uh, and it's two scholarship guys. And I asked John Baxter about it. And I said, you know, what is it? He, he just, I don't really know. I said, is it confidence or is it, you know, is it a technique issue? He says, tough to say. <laughs> that's kind of baffling. Yeah, that's a, that's a baffling answer, you know, and – he said it's the same punters we had last year and, you know, and the year before they were doing well at that time. So I, I don't know what it is necessarily. I'm, I don't really know how to break down special teams and kicking motions. That's what John Baxter's supposed to be good at. Yeah. So if it's, if it's not the technique, then it has to be the confidence. I, I think as a coach, you should be able to talk to your players at, at your position. He's the full-time special teams coach this year. Not many teams necessarily even have that. You know, right. they're usually that's divided. Another, that's another investment. True, and and you're not getting the results. Not only that, but then you, you look at the the blocked field goal. The blocked field goal. If you make the field goal, it's a one score game. Now, granted, Texas has the momentum at that point still, and you know you're you're then down. I think it would have been uh, twenty three to thirteen or twenty three to seventeen. You're a one-score game. Instead, yeah. it goes the other way. The game is completely flipped. It's over at that point. Yeah. There is no life at all on the sideline. The, the game was just – they could have just stopped it then, stopped the bleeding. You know, Somebody could have thrown the white towel from the, the boxing corner. Yeah. Uh, it was done. So what is going to change there? It doesn't sound like there's anything on Chase. No. You know, Clay Helton basically said that, we'll, you know, that it's basically on the kickers and we'll get it fixed. And he said, you know, John Baxter is one of the best special team coaches in America, basically. Yeah, that does it. And, and I think Dan Weber said it best during instant analysis where he talked about if they're at, the coaches are adamant about not changing anything, there will be a change, meaning there will be coaching changes. Like they have to do something different. This isn't working. And I, I don't like uh, you're, when you're talking about like a punter struggling or whatever like that. I'm not putting it on individual kids. It's like. You know what? Like whatever, you know, stuff happens. You have some bad plays, and or whatever. You can figure out something to do. But when you put, like you said, you put that much special time, that time in special teams. At some point, I think Clayton's got to say, "All right, we're cutting down your special teams practice time. Do what you need to do in this part, and do it right. And I don't care. We're not. Don't practice this the stuff that never happens. Don't practice trying to be a hero. Practice just doing your job and giving the ball back to the offense or whatever. I mean." you know, just not screwing things up. Like, I think that's what you kind of have to figure out at this point. You can't say he's, he gets to run. It's like, he's running a huge part of the practice. And I think you have to, as a head coach, you have to kind of take that away. Like you've lost that, right? Like not like you, I'm not advocating, you know, getting rid of coaches or whatever, but you have to change the way they do things. They put too much into it to get nothing out of it or less than, I mean, you're putting yourself in a hole all the time. So think, change it up. Like, okay, you now have 15 minutes make it work the best that you got to do. And you do this on Monday, this on Tuesday, this on Wednesday. And I want this unit to be good when it comes out. I don't want 10 people on the field. I don't want people confused. I don't want penalties. I don't want any of that stuff. Fix it. And I think you can do that. That's a change you can make without firing anyone or benching anybody. Yeah. Light into somebody. And, you know, that would be <laughs> something that needs to happen. But, you know, I, I talked to John Baxter after the game. 
You know, on the field goal block, he said he couldn't really tell me because he was on the sideline, so he didn't know. He said they came through our left side, and he said if there's penetration, it's got to be a technique issue. So he's putting it on the players. Asked him later about the punters. It's the same guys. Basically, he's putting it on the players. Their their issue there. Uh, you know, asked him afterwards. I said, or later in the conversation, with as much time and effort as he putting in practice, why are you not getting the results? He said, hell, you know, we're going to have to look at that. <laughs> so yeah. he, he had he didn't have any answers for me. No. Um, so somewhere there needs to be a change because if you don't have answers for what's happening, it's not, well, we missed this right here. This is what – and then asked him about the, the punt block. Uh, asked him, you know, what happened on that. He said Talanoa was free and Talanoa jumped when he should have kept sand down. Again, putting it on the players. Uh, now, uh, that is absolutely correct. If Talanoa does not jump, he does block that. The question is why are you trying to block that punt? Yeah. If he keeps his hands down and he blocks it, what is the likely result? The ball is going to go out of the back of the end zone. You're going to get that two-point safety back. Why? What? The risk versus reward there. Two points versus USC, if they do a return. Now, they, they didn't, you know, they went for the block, so therefore right. he, they didn't have Tyler Vaughn's calls for a fair catch. He gets it around the 45-yard line. I'll check when I rewatch it, the exact yardage. But So if they return it, they get – if he started at the 45, they get eight yards on it. You're starting at the 37-yard line. You're already in field goal range. So there's three points if you assume your field goal kicker can make a kick. So you have basically said it is worth the risk to get this two points now and get the ball on the other side of the field versus automatically being in field goal range and we should have three points. Yeah. So I don't think the risk versus reward there makes any sense at all. No. Now maybe you block it partially and someone catches it and it's a touchdown, but that's the best result. And they did have, you know, they did have a clear run on him, and he, you know, he had the potential to block that. They've been really close to blocking a bunch of punts, but they have not come up with it. And maybe that's something you have to focus on, you know, in the upcoming practices because you've been really close. And it's tough to do that with live, but you know, maybe you get a walk I would say on. You and can't say, do that anymore. Like, stop trying to make huge plays. Just don't screw up. Is what I'm telling him at this point. If I'm if I'm Clay Helton, stop trying to block everything. Just execute the way you know, punt it and give me 45 yards or whatever. Kick a field goal that's inside forty yards, uh, you know, just just do it that way. I don't want to see any more hero plays like this. It's not working. Yeah, you could go to the basics. Say we're yeah. scrapping, trying to win with special teams. We're just going to try not to lose with special teams. Right, which is sad, but that's kind of what you have to do. At this but point. when Clay Helton says, you know, well, the field position was bad, the field position was this, you know, we got to make plays, and th- then that's the special teams, and the special teams are hurting you. The special teams are not. The special teams, you advocate that the special teams should just be even. You know, when you have a power five, uh, you know, dominant program like USC has been over the years, the special teams should be baseline. Yes. And give you a little blip every once in a while. That's what I would like to see. And if you you could go with that philosophy, if you do that, then special teams just need to just cut out all the extra stuff. Just do the basics. But they're below baseline with huge blips downwards like yeah actually that's i mean that's mostly what they're doing so i think you just kind of just stay baseline stop doing all this stuff and i think he's just john baxter's assistant coach has a lot of power and a lot of and clay elton's here and i think you don't have to fire him but i think you have to say you know what you're on the back burner you are stop you are not running this much of practice anymore we're gonna do it this way um yeah we'll see we'll see how that comes out the okay so we talked about you know a lot of the offensive stuff special teams it's kind of weird for me feeling like I know some people kind of complain about the defense, but when like special teams are just atrocious, 
and you get minus five yards rushing, there's going to be some pressure on the defense a lot of times uh, with the short punts. Um, I mean, that you really put yourself in some holes there and, and some short fields. Did you have any kind of I – I don't think I had any strong thoughts on the defense besides some – some missed opportunities with some missed tackles that could have been lot, you know, losses turned into gains or that, that touchdown, like the 40 something yarder, like that, you know, the guy should have been tackled and uh, you give it up there. I think it was a Jaden Harris on that one, but I don't know overall, what were your kind of defensive thoughts? Uh, you got tackled a little bit better. You know, they missed some opportunities to get off the field on third downs. I know some people were tweeting at me that they never get off the field on third down. Well, that's not true. There were four of 11 at one point, which tells you how things, you know, precipitously dropped at one point in the game. And that's the momentum factor. That's yes. the sideline. That's, and they were that's pretty also, good early on fourth down. Right? Yeah, yeah, there were 4 of 11 at one point, Texas was. And they finished 10 of 19. So that means they went 6 for 8 on their last. Wow, yeah. And one of those was probably at the very end of the game when they are just running the ball or whatever. Uh, so, and that went partially, there's a lot of factors that go into that. You know, the defensive line wore, wore out, I think. Uh, and I think that was because... You know, they got a little light on bodies. Malik Dorton got nicked up. Brandon Peel was very, very small at play usage. Uh, you know, apparently the cast issue was an issue or the wrist was an issue for him. You know, he didn't play, I think, at all in the first quarter. And he had a couple of plays later in the second half and things. Um, and then, you know, Christian Rector was playing a lot of defensive ends. So I think that those guys wore down a little bit. I think Jay Tufele, Marlon Tupelotu, those guys in the middle – uh, especially with t- Texas's up-tempo offense, and the fact that that up-tempo offense was keeping USC from subbing as much as you know maybe they wanted to do, and then when you lose Porter Gustin, then you're going to younger guys like Hunter Eccles and uh, Kanai Maga uh, coming off the edge, and Giant Anson talked to him afterwards. He said you know he, he was happy with what they what he saw from them just on the field, and you know obviously they'll have to look at it to see, but you know he wasn't expecting a ton from those young guys stepping in at that point, especially with how everything had already snowballed at that point. So I, I think they got worn down on that side. And that's going to be an issue because those guys had to play a ton and you come back on a short week you know, against Washington State. Washington State's going to do the same thing. They're not going to let you get off the field to sub and different things like that. So we'll see how USC can handle that this week. Now, I thought the tackling was something that was of concern. I didn't think the third downs were as big a concern as some other people. I thought, I thought it kind of the number changed on them a lot. Now, some of the third downs they've given up have been longer. I know that's been an issue. Uh, so they've got to be able to figure out how to get off the field on third downs. But they're getting put in some bad situations. So yeah. uh, they, I think the defense did okay. I didn't think it was great. I didn't think it was bad, though. Yeah. I thought they were okay. Yeah, it was like a decent enough defensive performance. Sam Ellinger, I mean, he he was he looked a lot more effective than I've seen him other times. Um, you know, he's had some... Some bad turnovers in the past. I thought he ran the ball uh, pretty well, effectively moved the chains for him a little bit. What what about the? uh, Did you get? I didn't get to really rewatch the Porter Gustin um, play where he gets ejected for targeting. Uh, He's going to miss the first half of the Washington State game, so uh, that's not going to be very helpful either. But did you have any thoughts on that play? You know, he he did hit him with the helmet. It didn't look like targeting to me, but. You know, when the helmet does hit the other helmet, especially when it's a quarterback, yeah. there's going to be concern. And the fact that it was a step after he'd thrown the ball. So if you did that same thing while he's releasing the ball, maybe it's not. But the fact that it was after he'd already released it, I think that also plays into the thinking of, of the uh, the referees when they're looking at the play. Uh, I thought the – I don't know how the Amon Ra St. Brown hit that was eventually called targeting wasn't called on the field. That one was – baffling to me i mean the guy 
is crouched down and leech, uh, launches into the into Amon Ra's face mask. And it seemed like a very clear targeting right off the top, and they had to wait until after there was a potential fumble and everything, then go through a review to figure that one out. Uh, the referees were not very good in this game. No, there were there were several like one point in, late in the first half. I think someone tweeted at me that Port Augustine had been held on four consecutive plays, and that was an accurate tweet. Uh, and he got called for a hands to face at one point where. I think he had a hand in somebody's face, but he's also his left arm was like being held up in the air because he was being held in a weird, funky position. So the the referees were not bad. However, it's not, not thirty four straight points uh, or right. not good, yeah. but it was not thirty four straight points bad uh, no. as far as the referees. So it did they didn't help at all with USC. But the thing was, USC couldn't handle the adversity to to overcome that. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's you can complain about referees, but that's not. You know, you give up 34 straight points. It's like, yeah, well, what could have went this way, could have went that way. But it just went bad in a lot of ways. A lot of ways USC could have controlled. There were some things out of USC's control that, you know, okay, you, that might have cost a couple points or something, but not 34 straight. <laughs> giving up 34 straight. That's that's on you. Yeah, the game might have been closer if the referees did better, uh, but it still wouldn't have been that close. What was the, the – you know, they were actually holding up. It's funny. My sister was asking, what are the, the penalty numbers? What are the, um, there was a, you know how like if uh, you're watching, Chaka knows this, if you're pitching or something and you watch a pitcher, they hang like K's up. So they were hanging up numbers and I wasn't sure what it was. You're like, are those rushing totals? I was like, no, Trey Watson wasn't going off that much. They were hanging up opponent's penalty num- like yards, which was kind of strange. I don't know what USC and I'm getting up to, but I've never seen that before. We talked to some Texas fans around us. They didn't really know what it was, and they kind of figured it out. Like, I'm not sure why they're doing that. But it's almost like, hey, we have the referees on our side, too. We're going to pound, pound you with penalty you know, penalty yards. Yeah, that was a student section. You know, they were putting out the placards of how many yards it was. So USC finished with 10 penalties for 99 yards. Uh, Texas got four first downs off the penalties. Oh. Um, so, I mean, one of those, obviously, is the pass interference on uh, Isaiah Langley. So I don't know all the penalties off the top of my head, but th- so potentially they got three extra first downs from calls that were controversial. Or okay. not. I, don't, I don't know. You know, the Port Augusta one is another one. So that one I think is definitely one. So you have two to three plays that, that may have changed. Did three first downs turn this into a, a what is it, 20, 23 points loss? No. No. So the referees, while they weren't good, uh, they were not the reason why USC. No, if you yeah, if you think that that's not uh, that's not accurate. Oh, well, we have. Is there any other topics? We got a few questions we can get. Go to. for it. All right. So Eric in Duck Country says, when the coaches say, "quote We didn't execute," isn't that essentially blaming the players? Thanks as always, Eric in Duck Country. Yes, kind of. I mean, you're you're saying that we had the play call and we didn't do something correctly. Uh, so you're blame you're blaming the players, but also if you're the head coach, then maybe you're blaming the coordinators. If you're the coordinator, maybe you're blaming one of the position coaches. Yeah. So I think there's some of that in there. And uh, I didn't, get, I haven't like got to listen to T. Martin's interview yet. But Keeley said that uh, you know it seemed like he was a little bit more candid uh, after this game than oh, okay. some of the other games. So uh, look for that to be coming up in the next couple of days. Um, so I, I think that it's getting to the point where, and if you're the head guy and one of your you know, somebody who's below you is causing you to be blamed for everything. You get frustrated with it. Yeah. And I think, I think that's where USC is getting to that point where, you know, the, the blame is being shifted to other people, but you know, it, obviously it starts at the top. Yeah. And I agree with that. And I think there, at some point you have to look within and say, okay, there's a plan. 
if you execute the most plans, if you execute the plan, you're going to get successful results. But sometimes the plan is flawed and it's not going to work. And if your if your plan is to lose a uh, hundred pounds in a year, and uh, and you're going to do it by only eating like chocolate pudding, like that's a flawed plan. Like you can execute that plan and it doesn't work. But if you have a plan that's difficult and you know it's going to be almost impossible, like that's an easy plan to execute. I can eat chocolate pudding every day, but I'm not going to get the results. Now you want a plan that's going to get you results. But if it's like, I'm going to create this, you know, gourmet meal and I have my, you know, five-year-old that's going to have to whip up a hollandaise sauce in 10 minutes to make it work. Like, okay, yes, if my five-year-old could whip up the hollandaise sauce and yes, the, the, we'll have a wonderful meal. But you're, that's not a very good plan because the likelihood of him whipping up the holiday sauce is not very good. I'm just making this up as we go. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, I'm watching my wife working in the kitchen and I'm like, maybe that's where I'm coming from. But I think at some point you have to look at, well, are you putting them in the right position? Did you give them a great plan that is, I'm not saying easy to execute, but reasonable to execute? Because if it's week after week, we didn't execute, we didn't execute, we didn't execute. I think now you have to start looking at yourself. What are you doing to make it so it, this is easier to execute? Why are they not executing it? Now, if it's just, I mean, if it's the players, then you recruit the wrong guys. But it's, most likely you're looking at this plan, looking at your scheme. What are you doing here? What are you trying to do? Um, and is it something that's workable for, for these student athletes? If it's not, you probably need to change your plan. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, at some point it, it comes back to, do you change things? If things are not working, doesn't there have to be some changes made? Yeah. All right. We got a question from Matt. He said, I've been a USC fan my entire life. This has become unbearable. I've never called out for Helton to be fired because bad hire or not, everyone deserves a fair shake. I've watched every USC game to the end. I did not attend the university. I'm just a fan. The Trojans carried Los Angeles and Southern California uh, through the no NFL days, but those days are gone. I've lived out a bucket list moment in 2016 when I took a road trip to Dallas to watch my Trojans play Bama. I'm a working class, single father, and saved for months for that trip. It was ugly, embarrassing, and disappointing, but I stayed until the last whistle. This team has not improved since that day overall. The game is not over, but SC has waved the white flag. Massive changes must be made tomorrow. I'm not saying help must be fired, but there has to be a sacrificial lamb or lambs. T, Baxter, Callaway, someone, everyone, has to change or I will not be watching on Friday uh, from that. I think a lot of people on Twitter are kind of along those lines like, hey, change something or I'm out. I'm sorry, guys, that you're going to be you – got, you got a free Friday night then because I don't see that there's going to be a change made. Um, does there need to be a change? Does it need to be someone fired? No, but like we said, I think there needs to be some changes made because what is what is going on right now is not working. What you've done uh, over the last you know three weeks has not worked, so something has to change. Now, if they fire somebody, that would could that could easily be the change they need. But I don't see that happening. I think that they, you're just going to have, you know, the same coaches will be out there. But does there something else need to be changed? Yes. Something has to change, whether, you know, even if it's not someone being fired. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I just don't think it's going to happen. Nope. And uh, I, I'm, we're seeing that a lot, though, Shotgun. We're seeing fans that are, they're fed up. And, you know, there's, there's the side that has Clay Helton's record, you know, winning 10 games, winning 11 games, winning the Rose Bowl, beating – Washington, who made the playoff on the road, you know, impressive fashion, uh, beating Penn State in the Rose Bowl, 
going 2-0 against Stanford last year, a couple of impressive wins, you know, and winning the Pac-12 for the first time in like 10 years. Like those are facts and those are real. But the more you see them lose against, you know, big time power five opponents getting blown out, the, the, the double digit losses are more than, you know, P. Carroll ever had or some of the other coaches too. You're seeing more of that. And a lot of people point to the fact that, you know, as a permanent head coach, he hasn't won a game against a Power 5 opponent without Sam Darnold as the quarterback. He's 0-6. So there, I can see both sides. The eye test where you're not blowing out bad teams, That's I get it. So, I mean, there's facts and there's facts, and it just depends on which side you're looking at. I think there's more people leaning from the, the sunshine side where well, he hasn't got a great record. They're looking to it. Man, this doesn't look right, though. Like, it should be better. I don't know where you, you kind of stand on that. Do you, do you understand the fans' kind of frustration? Oh, yeah. You always understand the fans' frustration. You, when you're losing, I understand the fans' frustration. I don't always understand it when they're winning. Um, but, you know, I can understand why you guys are upset. You know, you, you look at this team and you see the talent and you see, obviously, the star rankings and stuff. And we've told you before that stars do matter. <laughs> uh, so since we're standing by that, you see the star rankings on these guys. You say – this team has talent. Why is that talent not being used in a, a way that this team will flourish? And you just haven't seen that. Now, I thought coming in this year, I think the question, my question was, could, is, was Clay Helton going to be the guy that will beat all the teams you're supposed to beat, beat a couple of teams every once in a while, but never really beat the really good teams? That was kind of my thought. Is it, has he become you know that type of coach? And maybe that's just what you're seeing. Maybe you know they beat up on you know if they beat Washington State and they beat Arizona and you go on the road and you know the Utah game is kind of a toss up. You beat pretty much everybody else in your schedule and then the Notre Dame game you lose. Is that this team? Yeah. It could easily be that they will beat the teams they're supposed to beat. Now sometimes it won't be pretty and sometimes, but they've all they found a way to win the, the Utah game where the you know stopping a two point conversion. You know all those games, the Colorado game, they come back, they find a way to win those games. But how many times are they going and beating up a really good, beating a really good team? They went to Washington and won. Yeah. They beat Penn State in the Rose Bowl. But look at some of those other ones. They've gotten destroyed by a couple teams. They got destroyed by, uh, you know, Ohio State. They got destroyed by Notre Dame last year. So you, you start to wonder: Is that the ceiling for this team that they can only beat teams, and every once in a while they'll have a win? But they'll take care of business against the other teams. Do you really want – it becomes do you want a feast and famine team? Obviously, you want a team that just feasts all the time. You want you know the Pete Carroll right. age. But if not, do you want a team that, you know, that wins 12 games one year and goes 6-6 six and six the next year? Or you do you want a team that goes 9-3 and three every year? Yeah. And I think at USC, would you rather take the feast and famine uh, way and you know have the potential of a national championship, or do you just want to be okay every year? And I think – the problem is that Texas is a blue blood program. It's a destination that fans would want to go to here come to Austin. This is not a very good Texas team. I mean, this is a team that lost to Maryland. This is a team that gave up. Was it, it was over 200 rushing yards, I believe, to Tulsa. Um, I, yeah, I have to, I'll go back and look. But they Tulsa did not look the same running the football that, that USC did. Uh, so that's the problem here. It's like, I don't even think this is a very good Texas team. I'm not convinced that Stanford is a great team. Yeah, either that you know, I have them at number one in my power rankings in the Pac-12, mostly for the win over USC. But um, I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure that these are great teams, and USC didn't look good in either game. True. Uh, we got Stephen Poway. In 2016, Coach Clay Helton was in a similar situation, 
as he is now, starting out one and two, including a humiliating loss to Alabama. He made a fateful decision to go with Sam Darnold as his full-time starting quarterback. What fateful decision should he make now? Thanks, Stephen Poway. And I think when you start with the freshman, you start with the young quarterback, there's no there's no magic bullet anymore. Like if you start with Matt Fink and they were one and two, he could have put the magic bullet in. But they don't have that now. He's used the magic bullet. So what has to be is that they're changed. Changes it. I mean, they changed then. Now they've changed. Is it going to be the quarterback? No, but there needs to be change somewhere else. I, I, I'm probably going to – somebody's going to have to go back and count how many times I say change in this podcast. But that's what it takes. And I, I've said last week I harped on the offensive line has to play better. And with, if the offensive line was better, this offense would be a lot better. But also you're giving up so many yards from special teams too. There's several areas that need to be addressed, and it starts with making changes rather than doing the same thing that you did last week and the week before. Yeah. Um, what's the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting uh, different results. Is that that's something along that? That's, the, say, that's the, the saying. That's yes. the way it goes. All right. Um, well, you guys have a lot more questions. Uh, I haven't even looked at the voicemails yet or the text messages. Um, we will do our best to, to get to them like we did last week. It just there was too many. We can't get to them all. But if you make them concise, you got a better chance of reading them because, you know, if they're Three pages long. I'm not reading it. You can. You, you should do your own show or come on. Certainly, come on to the Peristyle. Come on to the message boards. If you're not a subscriber, you should jump in there now. Very active. We, if you don't want to pay, we have a free board too, the Fight On Forum. You can express all your concerns. If you want to tell everybody, uh, you know, your thoughts on every quarter in the game, like some of the emails we got, you can m- most definitely do that uh, on the message boards on uscfootball.com. Just hard to read all those, so it's hard to, you know, you can express yourself a little bit better on the board. Nick. I don't know if you got to look at the boards yet, Shotgun, but people were pretty expressive yesterday during the game. Imagine that. Yes, I banned a lot of people yesterday. It was like crazy. I went on a banning you know, rampage. Uh, you can't just act however you want. And so the problem is during the games, we're very busy covering the games. You know, uh, We can't be on the message boards policing all the time. Fans, they're the most excited during the games. And there's you know personal attacks or stuff. You can express your displeasure. Just be respectful to other people and not, you know, do, so a lot of, uh, gave a lot of bands out uh, last night and this morning. You got to do it sometimes. Sometimes you, know? you got to do it, I guess. <laughs> I have not looked at the boards. I've been, yeah, I basically was in the press box till about 1 30 or 2, got some Whataburger afterwards, uh, and then, you know, I fell asleep while writing. I think I was sitting up and fell asleep <laughs> in the bed at, at my hotel room. So, uh, you know, Got back up and got back to work, so I haven't even got a chance to check on those. I'll get to it maybe Tuesday, where I'll get the threads that are still running from the the game that are still still going on. Uh, the people are still commenting on. I'll get to those, but I'll leave all the bad ones to you. Yeah, that's what we do. And I feel bad, Keely too. She came in and she came in on a red eye, and came over here like right away to do our live show and uh, on Thursday. So that was kind of insane. It's been a crazy sort of. Uh, long weekend here but we'll be back uh, on monday and so definitely check out tonight we'll do our live show if you're listening to this on time and otherwise you can go back and uh, look at the replay but i think we're gonna wrap it up here our emergency podcast from austin is done uh we're in westlake so westlake high school's here levi jones drew Brees went to this high school sam erlinger sam ellinger yeah ellinger yeah i always say it weird like sam ellinger i believe yeah 
so a lot of people went to uh, Westlake, big big high school here in uh, in Austin, Texas. And Levi Jones did get to play some yesterday. I know you guys oh, have been yeah. calling for that, so good for him getting to play. All Alex Stathouse is from Texas as well. He had a, you feel bad for Ocasedric Ware. Look at the record that USC has when they've come to Texas. And, you know, for the senior running back from Texas, has not been good. No. Uh, so you, you feel really bad for him yesterday. You know he wanted to have a big impact and, you know, at least score or something. But it just wasn't in the cards yesterday for him. It was interesting that they started Stephen Carr instead of him because he's been the starter. I thought they might try to work him more because, you know, Texas thing and, and fired up. There are some people that just – feel like he shouldn't be in there at all. You got to give Stephen Carr all the carries. I don't agree with that at all. I mean, I like the way Stephen Carr has been playing. Um, you know, it's not like Stephen Carr didn't go crazy. He had the one touchdown run. And then, like you said, five rushes for one yard <laughs> after that. Uh, I just like to see them all kind of worked in more. I think they all bring something different to the table, but I thought maybe you see a bigger, you know, bigger thing out of where um, in this one, but obviously with only, you know, 12 carries, no one was going to get a lot. Yeah. All right. Let's go wrap it up. That is Shotgun Sprouting. I am Ryan Abraham. Thanks for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast Emergency Edition from Austin, Texas. And we'll talk to you again next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.